My name is Jordan, and I'm one of the pastors here at E-Free. Welcome to everybody here in the auditorium. Welcome to everybody watching online. So glad you could join us today. And a special welcome to all of the kids that are here today in Grown Up Church. It's Family Worship Sunday, and so we're glad you guys could all join us today. I will do my best to be somewhat engaging. So I'm not going to set the bar too high. All right. Anyway, we are in a series. That was a joke, I hope. You know, if you're a guest, you're like, this guy. Okay, uh, we're in a new series. We're starting today. This is going to go throughout the summer and into the fall called Minor Prophets, Major Message. Minor Prophets, Major Message. And so we're going to dig into the Minor Prophets. And this is a, a part of the Bible um, that is in the Old Testament that you probably don't know a ton about. Um, that a lot of times we just flip past it on our way to the New Testament. Um, maybe you know about Jonah because... He is a well-known Bible character, and so if you grew up going to Sunday school, you heard about Jonah. But other than that, you probably didn't hear about some of the other ones um, that are in there. And so we want to help you get to know um, who these minor prophets are, where they're at in the Bible, and then we also want you to feel more confident about them. Because if we're honest, a lot of us probably can't say their names. If we do, we say it with a question mark at the end, like Hosea, maybe? And that's how we say the different names. Um, which is fair because we just don't have a lot of experience with them. So this summer, we're going to dig into these minor prophets. We're going to give um, each prophet gets one week with the exception of Jonah because he's a big deal, I guess. And so he gets two weeks. But everybody else um, gets one week. And then our hope is that you would feel more confident about these, uh, these prophets and their message by the time we're done this summer. So you may be wondering, what is a minor prophet? And like, why is, what's a major prophet? What's a minor prophet? Are the minor ones not as important? Are they, like, not as tall? Like, what's the deal with them? Are they younger? Uh, the reason they call them major prophets and minor prophets is the major ones, their books are longer. So there's just more pages given to them in general. And then the minor prophets, their books are shorter. So sometimes you're going to find out they're hard to find because they're one or two pages. And so if you don't have the exact page, you're going to skip by them. And then you may be wondering, well, what's a prophet? Well, a prophet is a messenger. It's someone that God comes to and God gives them a message to. And he says, I want you to go to a specific people in a specific place at a specific time. And you're going to be my messenger. You're going to be a prophet who goes and speaks God's word to this group of people. And so that's what it is. We're going to focus on this group of um, short messages that are important messages from these people that God sent to give to his people. And so that's what we'll be digging into. And this is a Mark It Up series, so we hope that you bring your Bibles. We hope that you bring your physical Bibles with you to church. I love my physical Bible because I really think I learn better. Um, that I, I consume books through audiobooks, through Kindle books, and through physical books. And I can tell you for a fact that I retain much better when I have a physical book versus the other method, methods. Maybe you're different, but that's my experience. And so we hope that you bring your Bibles with you to church. If you don't have a Bible, we have some outside the garage doors on the table out there. that We would love to give you that so you can take it home. You can underline in it, circle things, make little, little notes in the, the margins. Um, but if you're someone that's like, I don't like to write my Bible, bring a notebook. Make your notes there. We'd love for you to be engaged um, throughout this series as we dig into this. So as we begin with Hosea this morning, would you imagine with me that there is this family that they are under contract on a house. They haven't bought it yet. They haven't closed, but they're under contract. So there's a dad and a mom and four kids. And dad takes the kids to the house. 
And he begins to show them the house. He goes, this is your room, and this is your room. It's going to be fantastic. You're going to love it here. And then he goes to the front yard, and they have this massive front yard. And he says, you guys can play. You see this big, large green space? You can play anywhere you want between the sidewalk and that part of the house. You can play anywhere you want there. Then he takes them to the sidewalk. And he says, you guys can play on the sidewalk. You can ride your bikes up and down the sidewalk. You can ride your scooters, your rollerblades, sidewalk chalking, you can do all that. But then he points to the other side of the sidewalk. There is this little strip of grass. And he says, you will not ride your bikes. You're not playing. You will not be in that grass right there. You can play as much as you want over there on this grass, but you cannot play on the grass over here. That's rule number one. And then he goes beyond that. You see how busy the street is? The one drawback of this house is that the street is so busy here. The cars fly by. There's cars always going by. They're not paying attention. Under no circumstances do you ever go in the street. The ball goes out there or something rolls in the street. You do not go and get it. You come inside, you get mom or you get me, and we will go and get it for you. And as long as you keep these two rules, you're going to be really good. That you can play as much as you want over here and there's going to be blessings on you. Like you're going to enjoy playing in the front yard. You're going to make so many great memories. We're going to come out. We're going to play. It's going to be fantastic. But you need to know if you start breaking these rules, you start going in that little strip of grass, you start end up in the street, there's going to be consequences. The first consequence is I'm going to start taking away your stuff. If you ride your bike through there, I'm going to take your bike away. You play with your football, your soccer ball, your basketball in there, I'm going to take them away. And then if that doesn't solve the problem and you keep going in there, you keep going out into the street, I'm going to bring you inside and you're going to sit inside. You're not going to get to play in the front yard anymore. And if that doesn't solve it, I will sell this house. Like, we will move. Like, this street is way too dangerous for you to be messing with. And so if you can't handle this, I will move us someplace else where there's not such a busy street. Say, oh, okay, okay, that's fine, that's fine. So they move in. And at first they play up in the green, the large green space, and it's great, and it's awesome, and it's a blessing. But then over time, they start to drift closer and closer to that little strip of grass. They begin to think, Dad, his rules, we can handle this. The road's not that dangerous. It's not that scary. So they start playing in that little strip of grass. And dad's making dinner, he looks out the door, and he sees them playing in the strip of grass they're not supposed to be in. So one of the other siblings is in the house, and he says, hey, I want you to give a message to your brothers and your sister out there. I want you to go out there, and I want you to tell them they need to get out of that grass. This is their warning. Get out of the grass. So they go out there, they deliver the message. And over time, they send, he sends different siblings, depending on who's out there playing in the grass. And he takes stuff away, but they will not listen. They will not stop. And so one night he calls them all in. He says, we're going to have a family meeting. I told you guys that I would sell this house, and I was serious. And you guys will not stop, and so we're selling the house. We're putting it up for market. We're putting it up on the uh, house market. It's going to sell in a day, and it's going to be crazy. So we're moving. And so they sell the house, and they move, and they move someplace else that's not quite as great and not as nice because they would not obey the rules. So this morning, we're going to look at a different family. It's a much larger family. It's so large, it's become an entire nation. And they have a heavenly father. And the heavenly father is going to come to them and say, hey, I'm going to move you into what he's going to call the promised land. It is the best place you have ever lived, but there is some rules that are coming with this. There are some expectations, some guidelines, some commands that you have to follow, that we're going to enter into an, a, a covenant 
an agreement where I am going to care for you, I'm going to provide for you, and what I'm asking for you is faithfulness. What I'm asking is that you would be faithful to me, that you would, uh, we'll get into that in a moment. So what, we, what you need to know as we go through the message this morning is that it has three parts to it. The first part is going to be background information. I have to give you a bunch of background information. I have tried to whittle it down to the most need-to-know pieces of information so that it'll make sense about what's going on when we get to Hosea. But then once we get through the background information, then we're going to pivot to what was it that God's people were doing wrong? What was the areas of rebellion they were doing that is causing God to send a messenger in the form of Hosea to go and warn them about turning back to him? And then the last piece is going to look at what is God's response to his people's rebellion. When his people, rebel, his people rebels against him, what does he do? How does he respond to them? So let's pray, and then we'll dig in here. Father God, I thank you for your love and your goodness. God, I thank you that you are a God who seeks to care for his people, who seeks to restore them. But God, that you will work on us if we are hard-hearted. If we are in rebellion, God, that you will work on us and you will break us down if necessary so that we can be um, responsive to your word, responsive to your call on us. And so, God, I pray that you would help us to see this morning that you take sin seriously, that it is not something that you wink at, but, God, that you take forgiveness and mercy and grace and restoration seriously as well also. God, would you please help me to be clear and concise this morning. I pray this on your son's name. Amen. All right, so the background, inform- oh, let me tell you this first, because some of you are like, where are we going to go? Like, I want to turn in my Bible someplace. I get that. So Hosea 11, Hosea 11, verse 1, is where we're going to end up here today. It's going to be our key text for today. So uh, I'm going to be real with you. This is how I find Hosea. Uh, the easiest way is to really look in your table of contents, find the page number that way. But if you want to use the method that I use, I use the very inexact flip method. So what I do is I open my Bible, I look for Psalms. Psalms is a very large book of the Bible, and Hosea comes after Psalms. And so I flip to the right, and I am looking for Isaiah. And then when I get to slow down a little bit, because there's going to be Jeremiah, and then I'm looking for Daniel. If I see Daniel, I know I'm really close. And then I really want to slow down, because Hosea comes right after Daniel. All right, there's Hosea. But again, this is a very inexact science, so I encourage you to use your table of contents if you have a quick thumb that flips pages too quickly. And again, this works for Hosea because Hosea is kind of a longer minor prophet, but when you get into like the one or two pages, we're going to have to probably use the table of contents. All right, background information. The Israelites are God's people. The God has set them apart. He's made a special covenant with them that he went to them and he said, you're going to be my people and I'm going to be your God. And he started with a man named Abraham. He and his wife, Sarah, were old. They didn't have any kids. God says, I'm going to come. I'm going to give you a son. And then you're eventually going to become this mighty nation. And it happens that God gives them a son and they grow and they grow and they grow and they grow. And then eventually they go to Egypt because of a famine. And then they start living in Egypt and grow more and more and more. And the Egyptians get worried about them because there's so many of them. So they enslave them. Then they're in slavery for a long period of time. They begin to call out to God, God, would you rescue us? Would you save us? So God raises up a man named Moses to lead them. He sends 10 plagues on Egypt that breaks the will of Pharaoh to keep them in slavery. 
And so he, he sets them free. They leave Egypt. They go off into the wilderness. They go to a mountain called Mount Sinai. When they get there, Moses goes up on the mountain to talk to God. The rest of the people are afraid, so they stay at the bottom. And while Moses is up on this mountain, God gives him 10 rules or 10 commandments that he wants him to live by. So this is the father going down and saying, here's the two things you can't do. You can't go here and you can't go there. But his rules are different. So the Ten Commandments, I want to remind you of them because they're going to play a part in the message today. The first commandment is that you can have no other gods besides the Lord your God, that you cannot have multiple gods you're worshiping. You worship one God, the God who rescued you from Egypt. He says, the second commandment is you must not create any idols or worship them. That the people around you, they create idols that they bow down to, that they worship. He says, you guys will not do this. You will not create anything that you're going to bow down and worship. You're not going to create idols. The third thing is, is you must not use my name in vain. That, that doesn't just mean using it as a swear word. It also means that you're not going to attach my name to anything that does not deserve my name being attached to it. And so we'll get into that in a little bit. Then the fourth, thing, the fourth commandment is keeping the Sabbath. That there's a day set aside that God sets aside for them to rest. That they've been slaves in Egypt for a long time and slaves don't get a day off. And so he says, I want you to rest. So I'm giving you a day every week where you have to rest and you worship me. And then the fifth commandment is to honor your father and mother. The sixth one is you shall not murder. Seven is you shall not commit adultery. Eight is you shall not steal. Nine is you shall not lie about your neighbor. And ten is you shall not covet your neighbor's possessions. So these are the ten commandments that he gives them that he wants them to live by as a nation. And then from those ten commandments, they build out other commandments, that they, other rules that they live by. So while Moses is up on the mountain getting these commandments, he's up there so long that the Israelites think that he died. They're like, it's been like 30 days, 40 days, he must be dead. So they go to Aaron, who's the second in command, and they say, Aaron, we need you to make us an idol to guide us and direct us. What Aaron should say is absolutely not. Instead, what he does say is, give me all your jewelry. And so they bring forward all of their gold and he melts it down and he crafts it into a golden calf. And then he says, this is your God who rescued you out of Egypt. Which would be breaking the third commandment because that golden calf did not rescue them out of Egypt. And so they're using God's name in vain by attaching it to that golden calf and giving it credit for something that God did. Well, then Moses comes down off the mountain, sees what they're doing. That goes very badly for the Israelites, to make a long story short. And then they end up wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. For 40 years, they wander around the wilderness because they are too afraid to go into the promised land. They don't trust God. They don't think he's going to take care of them. So they don't enter the promised land. And then eventually, a whole generation of the Israelites die off, and they're ready to enter the promised land. And so Moses comes to them, and he gives them his final charge because he's about to die. It's 40 years from Mount Sinai. And he's preparing them to take the promised land. And in Deuteronomy 28, he begins to tell them the blessings that will come on them if they obey God's commands, if they keep his covenant. He says to them, if you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on earth. All these blessings will come on you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. Now, I'm not going to read all of Deuteronomy 28, but it goes into the blessings, and he lists them out. I'm going to give you a synopsis of these. 
But I encourage you, if you want to, go and read Deuteronomy 28 later today because it'll help you understand what it was that God was asking of them, what he was promising to them, and then what was going to happen if they chose to not keep the covenant, which is where we're going to end up with Hosea, that they're not keeping the covenant. And so this is why what's happening to them is happening to them. But the promises he makes them, the blessings, is that he's going to bless their children, he's going to bless their crops, he's going to bless their food when they make it, he's going to bless the land that they live in, that their position with the other nations, that other nations are going to come to them to trade, they're going to look favorably upon them, that they're going to have victory over their enemies, that if an enemy tries to attack them, they're going to be unsuccessful, that Israelites are going to be able to push them back, that their livestock is going to be blessed. That when they travel, if they try to go from place to place, that they're going to be, get there successfully. They're not going to get attacked by wild animals or by robbers. And then the weather is going to be a blessing. That when it's supposed to rain, it will rain. And when it's supposed to be a dry point, it'll be dry. And they're not going to have this crazy severe weather that destroys their crops. So he makes all these promises to them. But then he warns them. And he says, God is also going to bring consequences upon you if you choose to rebel, if you choose to not keep the covenant, you choose to pull back from him, then these curses are going to fall on you because God is going to remove his presence with, from you. So it's in Deuteronomy 28, verse 15. However, if you do not obey the Lord your God, do not carefully follow all his commands and decrees I am giving you today, all these curses will come on you and overtake you. It says that it's going to affect your children that it's going to affect your crops and they're not going to grow as well. It's going to create confusion in your land. Your leaders will not know what to do. It says your enemies are going to have victory over you. Your livestock is not going to reproduce as well. It's going to get sick. It says the other nations are going to see you unfavorably. They're not going to want to trade with you. They're going to mistreat you. It says the land itself is not going to produce for you as well as it could or should. Your food, even when you make it, it's not going to uh, last as long. It's going to go bad quickly that there's going to be disease that ravages you as a people, that the weather is going to work against you. It's not going to rain. It's, not, uh, it's going to rain the times it's not supposed to. There's going to be terrible, severe weather. It says when you travel, that you're going to be attacked by wild animals. It's going to be bad. Everything that they do will ultimately be futile if they say, we don't really care about God. We're going to do what we want. It says it's going to go poorly for them. Well, they go, yeah, 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 we get it, we get it. So they enter the promised land. God gives them victory over the, the evil people groups that live there that are practicing child sacrifice and terrible things and moves them out, and the Israelites take control of it. And then they go through these cycles that cover years and years and decades and decades where they start off doing well, they're faithful to God, and then over time, they begin to think, yeah, is really God that important to us? Like, look at all the God, people around us. They worship these gods of stone and wood. And, and, you know, they seem to be doing all right. Like, do we, maybe we need to add some of their gods to our God. And so they begin to wander from God and to break his commands and not keep the things that he told them to keep. So the curses begin to come in on them. And what will happen is their enemies begin to have victory over them and oppress them and mistreat them. And then they realize, what are we doing? Like, when we only had God as our one true God, then things were going well for us. We were doing well, and now we're not. Why don't we, why don't we turn back to him? And so they would repent. They would turn back to him and say, God, would you help us? Would you rescue us? Would you save us from our enemies? And God would raise up a leader 
who would protect them and guard them and guide them and direct them, and they would have victory over their enemies, and they would go back into this time of being faithful to God. And then the cycle would repeat. And it would just go like that for years and years and years until eventually they looked around and they said, you know, I think the problem is that we don't have a king. All the other nations around us, they have a king. And we need a king. So they go to God and say, God, you know, you've been leading us, but we don't really want you to lead us. We want a king to lead us. And so God says, fine, you can have a king. And when they have a good king, things go well. And when they have bad kings, things go bad. And they go through the cycle again. Well, eventually what happens is the kingdom splits. So there's 12 tribes that make up the kingdom of Israel. And they split into two groups. Ten of the tribes form the northern kingdom, which the Bible sometimes refers to as Israel and sometimes refers to as Ephraim. And then the southern kingdom is made up of two tribes that's referred to as Judah. And this is the state that Israel is in when we get to Hosea. So now we're going to transition to the rebellion of God's people. What were they doing that was making them not keep the covenant that was causing God to send Hosea to talk to them and to deliver them this message that he's going to give them? So the first way they were, they were rebelling against God was they had crafted and worshipped false gods. They crafted and worshipped false gods. So in 1 Kings 12, 28-30, this is before Hosea, but this is, still practiced, this is still going on and being practiced by the time Hosea shows up. And it's talking about the king of the northern kingdom and the problem that he has. It says, After seeking advice, the king made two golden calves, He said to the people, it is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. One he set up in Bethel and the other in Dan. And this thing became a sin. The people came to worship the one at Bethel and went as far as Dan to worship the other. So what's happening here is that God had set up a place that he wanted to be worshipped in Jerusalem. That through through King Solomon, he had built a temple in Jerusalem where he wanted his people to go to worship him. He wanted them to go to make the sacrifices for atoning for their sins. But that's in the southern kingdom. And he doesn't want his people going to the southern kingdom because after they go to the southern kingdom a few times, they're going to go, wait a minute, God's in the southern kingdom. Why are we living, why why are we not part of the southern kingdom with God? And so he says, we need some gods of our own. And so he crafts two golden calves like they did in the foot of Mount Sinai. But instead of making just one, he says, let's make two. That was their problem. They only had one of them. We need two. And then he says basically the same thing Aaron said. He says, here are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. So if we just take this passage and we compare it to the Ten Commandments. So commandment number one is you should have no other god but the Lord your God. And they broke that. They said, no, we can have these two calf gods. That'll be good. So they broke that commandment. Then they're not supposed to make any images of anything that they're going to worship. They're not supposed to make idols that they bow down to worship. They broke that one. And then last, they're not supposed to be using, the, they're not supposed to be using God's name in vain. And they're doing that by saying that these, these golden statues rescued them from Egypt. And so they've broken three of the commandments right there. So that's three ways they are, that's one way they're breaking the commandments and rebelling against God. They crafted and worshiped false gods. Now the second way that they are rebelling against God, is they abandoned the one true God and became known for evil. They abandoned the one true God and became known for evil. So as God's people, they were supposed to be the shining light that the other nations around them would see and would go, we want to be like them. They're supposed to see them and say, look at their God. Look how he rescues them. Look how he helps them. Look how they worship him, how they're devoted to him. 
and they don't have idols they need to bow down to. They just worship him. Well, the Israelites had abandoned this. In Hosea 4, verses 1 through 2, it says, Hear the word of the Lord, you Israelites, because the Lord has a charge to bring against you who live in the land. There is no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God in the land. There is only cursing, lying, and murder, stealing, and adultery. They break out all bounds, and bloodshed follows bloodshed. So one of the things that God sends Hosea to to say is, you guys have forsaken me. You have abandoned me. You have started to be known for evil instead of righteousness and goodness. So he says, there's no faithfulness to God. There's no love for God. There's no acknowledgement of God in the land. They've totally turned their back on God, who's supposed to be their caregiver. They're, They're supposed to be faithful to him and him alone. They've made this covenant as a people that we are going to be united to you and you are going to be our only God and they have forsaken that. And then if you go back to the Ten Commandments, so one of them is to honor your mother and your father and I think in verse 2 where it says there is only cursing, I think that means they're cursing their mother and their father. I could be wrong about that. But then it says they're lying, which that's breaking one of the commandments. They're murdering, breaking another commandment. Stealing, breaking another one. And adultery, breaking another one. So between those verses and the verses we just read prior to that, they've broken eight of the Ten Commandments. And I would guess that if we dug into the rest of Hosea with a fine-tooth comb, we would find the other two commandments they were breaking as well. And that leads us to the third way that they were rebelling against God. They turned to Egypt and Assyria for security instead of to God. They turned to Egypt and Assyria for security instead of to God. That in Hosea 7.11, it says, Ephraim is like a dove, easily deceived and senseless, now calling to Egypt, now turning to Assyria. So Ephraim, again, is this northern kingdom. What was happening is that they were going to Egypt and saying, hey, we want to buy chariots from you. We want to buy horses from you. We want to increase our military strength because we we don't want to trust God. We want to trust the might of our own ability. And then they're going to Assyria, and they're going, you guys are too big for us to defeat in a fight, so what we're going to do is we're going to give you our lunch money. We are going to give you silver and gold, and we're going to say, hey, you can just stay off our backs, right? We just keep, this is a great, you know, situation for you. We pay you money. You don't invade us. This is great. Everyone's happy, right? And that might seem like, well, you know, aren't they being clever? Aren't they doing what they need to do to survive? But the reality is God had said to them, I will protect you against your enemies, you, you turn to me, you're faithful to me, I'll protect you. You don't need to have this mighty army. You don't need to have a ton of horses. You don't need to pay them money. He says, you just stay faithful to me, and I will take care of you. And what they're saying is, God, you're not going to take care of us. God, you're too weak to take care of us. We need to increase our army. We need to make some agreements, some alliances with these people so that we can make it as a nation. So those are the three ways that they're rebelling. They're making false gods and worshiping him. They're abandoning God and turning, being known for evil. And then they had turned to Egypt and Assyria for security instead of to God. Now, we pivot to the final piece. What is God's response to his people's rebellion? When they rebel, what does he do? The first way he responds is he sends prophets to warn and to call for repentance. He sends prophets to warn and call for repentance. So this is where Hosea comes in. He says to Hosea, Hosea, I want you to go and warn them. I want you to call them back towards faithfulness and trust in me. In Hosea 1, verses 1 and 2, it says, The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, son of Beeri, during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, 
kings of Judah, and during the reign of Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, king of Israel, when the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So one thing that's important to know is that Hosea was a prophet for 25 to 35 years. So when it says that he um, spoke the word of the Lord or it came to him during the reigns of all these kings, that is laying out the fact that God had him go and mourn them multiple times over decades. That is 25 to 35 years that he is going to warn the Israelites. And this is really important because a lot of times we get this idea in the Old Testament that God gets a bad rap for being vengeful and angry and wrathful and that he like calms down in the New Testament. But the reality is that he warns them for a long, long, long time before he executes his wrath against them. That, that it's not like they made a mistake and they stepped out of line and he's like, we're done. Like this is not the father seeing his kids put one foot in the little strip of grass and then saying, okay, we're done. We're selling the house. This is him for years saying, what are you doing? And for years seeing them disobey and say, you guys just can't handle this. Like, this is not good for you. We need to address this. And so he is sending Hosea again and again. Now, because Hosea is famous for what God calls Hosea to do, I need to cover this because I would feel like I'm doing a disservice. So he says in there, Hosea, I want you to go and marry a promiscuous woman. That's the NIV's translation. There is translations that would use a different P word that I'm not going to say just because it's Family Worship Sunday and I don't want you to have other conversations in the car that you have to answer on the way home. But he's saying there is a woman of the night who her job is to work the streets. I want you to go find her and I want you to marry her. And now there is disagreement over whether or not this is literal or figurative because some people argue it's figurative and every woman in Israel has been spiritually promiscuous, and that's what he's saying. But I don't think that's what it's saying. I think it's literally saying, I want you to go find a woman of the night who works the streets, and I want you to marry her. And I want you to marry her knowing that she's going to be unfaithful. And the reason that I think he says this to Hosea is because it is a, a literal picture for them to see what it's like for God to be in a relationship with them. And he is showing them and saying, this is what you have done to me. That, that you have been an unfaithful wife. That you have not kept your side of the covenant. You have went after all these other gods. And I have been faithful to you. I have done everything that I could to be just and fair and honest and faithful to you. And so when they see this, it's supposed to cause them to go, oh, we are Hosea's unfaithful wife. What are we doing? So he sends his prophets to warn and to call for repentance. But the next thing he does is he disciplines. He disciplines. So this is the Hosea 11 passage that I had you turn to earlier. I want to let you know that it's not going to be up on the screens. The reason we're not putting it up on the screens is because we really want you to bring your actual Bible. And so in each part of the message, when we get to the key text or the key passage, we are going to not put it up there. We want you to, to use your your either physical Bibles or your phone Bible, whatever it is that you're going to use, but we want you to look at it, hold it in your hand, and to highlight and work with it that way. So here's what he says in Hosea 11. He switches from the, the image of um, a husband and a wife to a father and a son. He says, When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. But the more they were called, the more they went away from me. 
They sacrificed to the balls, and the balls are false gods that other people around them worshipped. And they burned incense to images. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by the arms. But they did not realize it was I who healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. To them I was like one who lifts a little child to the cheek, and I bent down to feed them. Will they not return to Egypt, and will not Assyria rule over them, because they refuse to repent? A sword will flash in their cities. It will devour their false prophets and put an end to their plans. My people are determined to turn from me. Even though they call me God most high, I will by no means exalt them. And so Hosea is speaking on behalf of God, and this is poetry. And so he is painting this picture of a father who takes a son. He has this little son, and he cares for him, and he provides for him, and he helps him learn how to grow and how to become a man. And he sets him up to be successful. And the son spits in his father's face and says, I don't need you. I can do it on my own. I'm fine without you. And he's saying, my son doesn't realize that all the blessings in his life came from me, that I'm the source of all the good things in his life. And he says that I want them to come back to me, that I'm trying to call them back to me, but they are determined to turn away from me, determined to do their own thing. And because of that, he says, they're going to be conquered by Egypt and Assyria. That Egypt and Assyria are going to come in and take some of them back to Egypt. They're going to go into exile there in Egypt. Some of them are going to go to exile into Assyria. And so he disciplines. He disciplines his people because he loves them. Because they are hard-hearted and they refuse to return when he calls them toward repentance. When he warns them, they refuse. And so he breaks them down. He breaks them down, and he breaks them to a place where they will hear, a place where they will recognize that they have abandoned God, and he is the source of good in their life, and they'll turn, they'll turn back to him. So he lets them. He says, you guys, you guys want that? Fine. You guys can have that. You're going to find out how it goes for you. And so he just steps back and lets their choices run its course, and it never goes well. But thankfully, he doesn't, stand, he doesn't end there. That's not his final response. His final response is that he forgives and restores. He forgives and restores. And at Hosea 11, verses 8 through 11, it says this. How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I treat you like Adma? How can I make you like Zeboim? My heart is changed within me. All my compassion is aroused. I will not carry out my fierce anger, nor will I devastate Ephraim again. For I am God and not a man the Holy One among you. I will not come against their cities. They will follow the Lord. He will roar like a lion. When he roars, his children will come trembling from the west. They will come from Egypt, trembling like sparrows, from Assyria, fluttering like doves. I will settle them in their homes, declares the Lord. So what he says is, ultimately, my discipline leads to forgiveness and restoration. He says, I'm going to send you into exile, but then a day is going to come. And again, it's poetry. So he says, I'm going to roar. And he doesn't mean literally roar, but he says, I'm going to call you back with this mighty roar. And you will come from Assyria, you will come from Egypt, and I will place you back in your homes. And I will restore to you what has been broken. I will restore this place to you. And so this is what God does. That God's ultimate goal is not destruction. His ultimate goal is not to destroy forever. His goal is discipline that would lead to repentance and restoration. That he would forgive them for what they did and he would restore them to a new relationship with them. This, this is his goal. 
And so if you have this idea that God in the Old Testament is just this wrathful God who's out to get people, that's really not who he is. That who he is is a slow and patient God who is kind and he is slow to anger. But after decades of them saying, we'll do whatever we want, God, he says, fine, do what you want and see how that works out for you. See how that works when Assyria invades you and Egypt takes you off. See what happens. But he doesn't leave them there. He calls them back and he rescues them and redeems them when they turn back to him. So this leads us to two questions for us here now and today. Because you might be like, well, that's a long time ago. This doesn't really connect with us. And to be fair, Israel is different from us. Like we should not read this as the promises that God makes to Israel is the same promises he makes to us or the promises he makes to Israel the same promises he makes to America. That is not the same. It is not a one-to-one comparison. But there is the reality that we should see that when we read this, that God takes sin seriously. He does not wink at sin and go, ah, you know, you're fine. He does not just take lip service well. That you can say, oh, I love God, but then do whatever I want with the rest of my life. That he says, I will discipline you. That I discipline my children. I care about them. He takes sin seriously. And the reason he takes it so seriously is because sin destroys. Sin destroys. And it doesn't just destroy the person. It doesn't just hurt the person that's doing the sinning. It hurts the people that are around that person. But my guess is all of you can think of examples of someone who made a choice and that affected their spouse, their kids, their parents. That sin has deep and far effects. And so God takes it seriously. But also the question that we should ask ourselves is do we take God's forgiveness and grace seriously? Do we believe that God is capable and able to forgive all people of all sins? Or do we think that there's a point where someone goes beyond where God's like, yeah, no. Because God did not give up on the Israelites. That God pursued them and cared for them even when they were in exile. Even when they wanted nothing to do with him, he said, I'm going to work on you. I'm going to take you through what you have to go through, and it's going to be painful, it's going to be difficult, but it's what's necessary so that you will realize that what you're doing is wrong and what you ultimately need is me. And so do we take God's forgiveness and grace seriously? Do we see that he's a God who pursues grace and forgiveness, and not just in the New Testament when Jesus shows up, but even there in the Old Testament? One final thing that I want you to to put in your pocket and think about. Hosea... I believe that Hosea foreshadows Jesus. Because what happens later on in Hosea, so God says, go and marry this promiscuous woman. And he says, she's not going to be faithful to you. And in the chapter 3, he says, I know your wife's not been faithful. I know that she's gone after these other lovers. And she is sold herself into slavery to these other people she's with. I want you to go and I want you to buy her back. And I want you to be faithful to her. And to me, this foreshadows Jesus who comes for his people who have this giant debt that they can't pay on their own. There's no way for them to get themselves out of the scenario that they've been unfaithful to God. They said, we'll do whatever we want. We don't need you. But God comes in the form of Jesus Christ and he buys them back. The, the Bible calls the church the bride of Christ. And he purchases her with his life. That he pays a far greater price than a few pieces of silver or a few pieces of gold. He lays down his life to rescue and to redeem because that is how serious God is about forgiveness and restoration. But that also displays how serious God is about sin, that he doesn't just say, oh, I know it's fine. We're good. 
He says, no, there is a price that has to be paid. And that price is the life of my son, which he will freely lay down in exchange for you so that you can be restored and you can be redeemed. And so throughout this series, my hope is that you will see that, that God takes sin seriously, but he takes forgiveness and restoration even more seriously. And that you would see yourself as forgiven and redeemed throughout this. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for Hosea. We thank you for the picture that he is of your grace to unfaithful people. And God, if we were honest, we have all been unfaithful. That The Bible says there is no one who is righteous. And that has been true in my life and true in everybody else I know. And God, I pray that we would take sin seriously. God, I pray that you would help us to fight against sin because we see the consequences and the effects, not just against us, but against our our families, against the people that we love around us, our friends. And God, I pray that you would help us to also, for those of us that have gone through a season of sin but have turned back to you, God, that we would see that you, uh, you give forgiveness and restoration. You take that seriously. That we would know that there is no one who is written off, no one who is forgotten. But God, you... Uh, you discipline to lead to repentance. You discipline to lead towards restoration. And God, I pray and I ask that that would be the case for all of us here. God, for those that are hard-hearted, those that are pursuing sin right now, God, would you um, discipline to re- lead to repentance? Would you discipline that would lead to a re- towards restoration? But God, I, I pray that that wouldn't be necessary. I pray that this warning, God, that you would use this message of Hosea as a warning to us, God, that the reality is um, we know the places we're falling short. We know the places we've said to you, we'll do what we want. And God, I, I believe that the Holy Spirit speaks about those things to us in those moments. And we go, I know I shouldn't be doing this, but I just don't care that God doesn't like it. I'm gonna do it anyway. God, I, I pray that for anyone that has that attitude, God, that there would be this brokenness and there would be repentance and a turning away from those places and those sins towards you. God, we love you. We thank you for your son. pray this all in his name.